And good morning, friends. People for Peace, Pods of Consciousness, Planetary Citizens, wherever you are today. This is Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And we talk with folks that are building a more humane world from the inside out. Uh, Last week, we had uh, Diana Rankin, who was uh, seeming to work a whole lot more on the inner world and bringing that out. This week, we have in the studio, live, Deirdre Herner, sometimes known as DK. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, Dick. (laughs) You said you answered to most anything, and I'm working on that R in the middle. I'm used to Deirdre, but it's Deirdre. That's right. Great. And... You have such a a life experience working in what I would call the public sector. You're a a public servant. Public servant, yes, sir. Multiple ways from your academic academic, uh, uh, background to every job you've ever had. And it was just uh, pretty thrilling to read through your resume and, and just to get to know you. Here we're both from Jeff City, but it took a a little New Year's party to, <laughs> to put us on the same couch and talk. That was good. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely, Dick. And I'm very gracious and glad to be here today with you to talk about how we in the public sector can do things to treat our fellow citizens in a more humane fashion. And uh, maybe to share some information about how how often folks don't realize that our public servants, uh, members of the state legislature, Mm -hmm. governors, lieutenant governors, how things that they do each and every day affect our lives and affect our ability to treat our fellow man with respect and and to treat them humanely. Well, this is going to be a great show. (laughs) You are by... uh your own admission, a detail person. That's correct. And you're a lawyer. That's correct. And you have worked as a chief of staff in lieutenant governor's offices and uh, such a a wealth of being in the system. And uh, you mentioned the today at noon, what's happening? I'm going to yoga. Well, you're going to yoga, but the legislature... The legislature convenes today Convenes today. That's right. That's cool. You're going to yoga and the legislature. <laughs> and you also uh, do some lobbying? I have I have done lobbying in the past. Now, mm-hmm. right, right now, I'm not under uh, contract with any organization to do mm-hmm. their lobbying on their behalf. But, you know, I would like to share some information about those of us who are public-minded, the mm-hmm. kinds of lobbying activities that we're engaged in. Because sometimes I think that People who are not regularly engaged in the system, Mm -hmm. be it the legislative system or in the government administrative system, I I don't think that they see all the time necessarily what a a lobbyist can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Too often um, the focus is on um, money. Mm-hmm. You know how much money a lobbyist gives mm-hmm. a um, a legislator or mm-hmm. someone who's running for elected office, or what they do for them. Although there's a whole lot more to the job than just that. And from my personal perspective, I would see that as a small portion mm-hmm. of what uh, a lobbying team or a lobbyist or persons like that bring. You know, bring forth mm-hmm. for the citizens. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole range of people mm-hmm. that do this kind of work. Yes, and and you said that even though the legislature starts today, there was a uh, – in De- December 1st, people could pre – Members of the legislature could pre-file bills beginning December the 1st. And so um, starting December the 1st, the you know that day, people who were who are lobbyists started reading those bills, and the the purpose of reading those bills is to absorb the detail. As I like to say, when you look at language, either an administrative rule 
or uh, a piece of legislation, it's very important that you know not only what the language says, but what but what the language means, what it will do. Mm-hmm. So I would always say, I, I know what this says, but I also know what this does. And you must be uh, a uh, hungry for the fine print. Yeah, you, you have to be very detail-oriented if you're, if you're a rural reader or if you're a, a legislation reader. You have to be very, very detail-oriented and go through that line by line and figure out what impact mm-hmm. you know those four or five words might have on an everyday citizen who lives in the state of Missouri, or if we're looking at congressional language, who lives um, anywhere in the United States. So you say people could pre-file bills December 1st, and then lobbyists begin to look over them, but some of those bills were probably written by lobbyists or how would you who writes the bills so usually what happens is this and and i'm going to use some examples so for example a number of years ago i was the executive director of the conservation federation of missouri so i represented hunters and anglers and their conservation interests to the members of the legislature a few years ago i'd say four or five years ago i worked as what we would call a contract lobbyist and subcontracted with folks but we represented the interests of the community action agencies Mm -hmm. so one of the things that we worked on was medicaid expansion Mm -hmm. and so i've also worked with an organization called empower missouri and empower missouri represents the interests of those who are less fortunate people who rely on food stamps, people people who live in poverty. And so the executive director of that organization also serves as a lobbyist. So you Mm -hmm. see, you can lobby, you Mm -hmm. you know, you can lobby for people who are downtrodden, Mm -hmm. or you can represent the St. Louis Cardinals, okay? Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's a whole range of what people do. Mm -hmm. And so generally what happens when we talk about pre-filing a bill or we talk about any piece of legislation is that executive director will work with his or her members of their organization and they will come up with some kind of idea that represents the interests of their government and they will are their organization and they will take that idea to a member of the legislature and then only a member of the legislature can ask that a bill be drafted you have to have a, a oh. legislate you have to have a legislator being willing to sponsor that bill then there um Within, like the Missouri legislature, there are professionals, there are staff who write the legislative language. And what they do is they take ideas mm-hmm. and they put that those ideas into statutory form where it would fit within the statute. Mm-hmm. And then that's what uh, a bill sponsor ultimately brings to the floor. So you really rely on the staff, and it's a nonpartisan staff. So they write legislation for both parties, hmm. or if they're in, and they're kind of like, in essence, sworn to secrecy. They don't mm-hmm. tell, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not their position to now are to these say that. the researchers down in the basement at the capitol mm-hmm. so to speak they are they so are that's the, researchers. the staff that's okay. the staff and, so and, when, and many of those researchers just to let you know are young attorneys who have graduated from school so when i had michaela skelton on uh-huh. she had worked as a researcher in right. in the bowels down uh-huh. there uh-huh. and those those are the people who Pull out the statute books, mm-hmm. look at the statute, look for conflicts, write the summaries, draft the language mm-hmm. so that the idea becomes the statutory language. Mm-hmm. And that's how you that's how you get to a bill. So she expressed that uh, she didn't have a lot to do sometimes because there were bills that were provided by outside organizations, and she mentioned specifically this uh, ALEC, ALEC, Mm -hmm. comes from a a large national organization, right? Correct. That would send the bills, 
already written. It, they'd just have to change it from Indiana to Missouri. or Correct. Yeah. And so so what happens is ALEC, A-L-E-C, uh, people call it ALEC, it's, it's a conservative, very conservative organization. Mm-hmm. And so it probably has a staff of people mm-hmm. who are just like the staff down in the basement of the Missouri State Capitol, mm-hmm. but those folks aren't charged to be nonpartisan. And so right. that that particular piece of legislation, again, is presented to a Missouri lawmaker who is interested in sponsoring that particular bill. And then that that language goes down to the legislative staff. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll say, right. you know, they, they're directed by whomever the bill sponsor is to say, well, yeah, I want it to be just like it is. Or, <laughs> you know, maybe we could change a couple, three provisions. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing that they do. Yeah. So uh, where do you see an education being uh helpful to people like me that are just we find i found out these things on the on the radio when i'm talking to you or or someone Uh, so uh, just to give you a little bit of my background i feel very fortunate that i have worked for governor carnahan and governor holden here in missouri and for lieutenant governor sheila simon in illinois and lieutenant governor sheila simon is senator paul simon's daughter right mm-hmm. and so having worked for these people their interest their primary interest is again serving the public and helping people and helping the state and doing very positive things for the state mm-hmm. of of missouri and very positive things for the state of illinois so they that your when you work for those folks your job is to put that into words what what they want to achieve but what's what is interesting or what is necessary is that the public be in, be very involved with their with their legislature tell them what they're interested in because as you know Dick we have a we're a representative form of government right. and so if your legislator only hears from one side mm-hmm. of the issue they never know that there there may be somebody who is standing in opposition to that mm-hmm. or uh, has a different point of view, and so the the education that comes along with regular citizenry is that you know what you need to de- develop a personal relationship with your legislator mm-hmm. because as you go up the ladder, let's say from a state legislature to co- Congress, mm-hmm. that ability to interact it becomes less and less, and so. What happens here in Missouri, for example, stuff that goes on in the in the Capitol, you know, legislations that's passed, mm-hmm. that whatever those words are, that means we that that becomes law, mm-hmm. and we as citizens have to abide by that law. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, well, <laughs> there are consequences. We're, there are consequences. Yeah. But the only way for us to enable our elected representatives to pass good laws or to consider what's going on is to have that relationship and you know to meet with them and to let them know mm-hmm. so so often it's people tend to look people look at it as an us versus them mm-hmm. when it's really a we but if if we the citizens aren't involved with it mm-hmm. then it does boil down to us versus them mm-hmm. it is it been your experience in observing us common people <laughs> that we are not very engaged with our representatives? I think I think that's it, and I think that's part of the where the breakdown comes. Is that if you live in St. Louis or if you live in Columbia or even if you know you live any place in the state, you you simply are paying attention to what you need to do to to live every day, mm-hmm. and you don't think about that something in Jefferson City that's going on under the Capitol dome mm-hmm. may directly impact you. Right. And so that's when you have folks like 
empower Missouri or when I was with the Conservation Federation, you know, we, we watch what goes on under that Capitol Dome mm-hmm. and then we tell people who are um, who are who support our particular goals or mm-hmm. objectives, mm-hmm. hey, this is going on. Mm-hmm. What do we as an organization need to do? Mm-hmm. And you know, can we involve you in the process? So let, let me give you an example, because we have the Parks and Soil Sales Tax here in Missouri, and it passes by large margins every four years when it's, or four or eight years, I can't remember anymore, when it's voted on. Okay. Okay. And so we knew that that sales tax, it, this was when it was still being legislatively, it's now been rewritten so that it just shows up on the ballot every so often. But we knew that it had an impact on farmers in outstate Missouri, because I worked with the Farm Bureau on that particular thing, and that and that the state park usage had an effect on people who liked to use the out-of-doors, my hunters and anglers. Mm-hmm. And so when they had a hearing on whether we should have that bill, I worked to bring my people in, and the Farm Bureau worked to bring their people in so we could make a showing to the legislature of how many people were involved in this. And I would say, I mean, we packed the, the hearing room hmm. uh, with, with people just who came in for the day, mm-hmm. and I think we took two busloads of school busloads, you know, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. citizens mm-hmm. down to the Capitol mm-hmm. in order to, to do that. So we make them aware. Right. But not every citizen in Missouri is involved in an organization who reaches out and does that kind of thing. Right. So uh, an example that I have just the smallest familiarity with, because I went over and it's where I met Michaela, uh, is at Les Bourgeois, there was a CAFO educational meeting and so we have these uh, confined animal feeding operations that are moving into Missouri more and more. And yet it seemed as though legislation was moving through the system and then, I believe, maybe passed, I'm not sure, that made these organizations, these CAFOs, uh, unaccountable. <laughs> They had no liability for the waste and the the pollution that continually comes from that operation. Sort of putting it on the people around in that area and downstream wherever, harm. So how, how would that get fixed? Or <laughs> So just as an example. Yeah. The um, the state is authorized to do so much. The state of Missouri can mm-hmm. can do so much, and that's set forth in legislation. So, in the example of the CAFOs, the Missouri Department of Natural Resources is allowed to do a certain level of regulation. That's mm-hmm. established in the state law, mm-hmm. but Missouri is and has been, and most places are. I mean, most states are what we call local control states. Okay. So we have, there is legislation that grants authority to certain counties to put a referendum on their own ballot to adopt planning and zoning ordinances. Okay. okay? And so you can't, by law, like zone an activity out. You can't do it. I read that in law school. I mean, I, I studied it in law school somewhere. can't remember where, but you can't. Uh-huh. Ex, it's exclusionary zoning, so you can't exclude. But you can put reasonable regulation on, but that has to be done at the local level. Mm-hmm. And so local citizens can't say or shouldn't say, okay, state, you're blowing it. You know, you're not regulating this because the, the citizens of that particular county also have a duty to adopt appropriate ordinances, put them on the ballot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen years, a number of years ago, I don't remember how many, but it was Callaway County. Mm -hmm. And there was um, a CAFO operation coming into that county. Mm -hmm. And people were upset, okay? They were very upset that that was going to happen in their county because of the odors, because of the runoff, because of all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But the only way to control that would have been for Callaway County to have adopted some kind of planning and zoning oh. to deal with that. Mm. Yet when planning and zoning was put on the ballot, it was voted down. 
So that that just goes to sh- citizens. Mm-hmm. You have to show up and you have to participate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it you you just can't hand it up the hand it up the ladder for somebody mm-hmm. to deal with because I mean we have a system of laws and we need to look at those laws. Mm-hmm. And again, it's about local control, and that's where mm-hmm. that happens. Yes. For those of you that might just be joining us, my guest in the studio today is Deirdre Herner from Jefferson City, a lifelong public servant in various capacities. One of the things we talked about on the write-up was money. Some of us think that money runs the world. (laughs) What's your take on money? So... As Dick probably knows, I just I recently ran in Cole County for a Cole County prosecutor. And I would talk with people and people would say, Well, you need to get your message out. And I would say, Yes, but you realize it's not free. <laughs> and so if people want to hear what an elected official has to say, you have to understand that the elected official needs money because mm-hmm. you have to the postcards have to be paid for and the you know the postage has to be paid and the social media facebook pop-up ads have to be paid and mm-hmm. if you're going to be on the radio you know you have to pay for that advertisement so in order for a potential elected official to get his or her message out they have various mechanisms that they can do it's social media television radio you know uh, direct mailers to their homes mm-hmm. and and that's how the citizens know what you know where the person who's running for elective office stands mm-hmm. but they have to pay for it mm-hmm. and so so does money run the does money run everything i'd say maybe yes maybe no but you know only in the context of it has to be paid for mm-hmm. so if you're looking at a congressional campaign or if you're looking at nationwide like a presidential campaign that you know the main way traditionally has been to get the message out through television and you know bless their hearts television stations are private corporations Mm -hmm. and their you know a private corporation's job is to make money for its shareholders Mm -hmm. so trust me during Mm -hmm. those times when you have a primary season or you have you know uh, an elective election season Mm -hmm. those local tv and radio stations as it gets closer and closer to election day Mm -hmm. they start making those minutes pricier and pricier Mm -hmm. and so you have to pay in order to get your message out. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a curious thing for me. Uh, I, I wonder, somebody owns those stations. Sometimes it's a, a big, uh, big corporation owns a number of stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, say, for instance, uh, Channel 13 in Jeff City has a different owner than... KOMU in Columbia. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that KOMU is owned by the university. The university, mm-hmm. so they can set their rates commensurate with their competition, which would be KRCG, who's owned by a private organization. And so the, in a way, we're funding the university if we pay for ads on Channel Eight. Or we're funding a bigger corporation if we're buying ads on a different channel. Is that? You could kind of look at it that way. I mean, I would say if you look at the university system, mm-hmm. it has overhead. It, mm-hmm. It's paying salaries yeah. for chancellors and presidents and all of those kinds of things. And so, like, I even. When I worked for the state of Missouri, I worked for the Department of Natural Resources State Park System. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we would want to have a study done, you know, we would have to pay, I don't remember, I'll probably misquote it, but like a 70% indirect cost. And mm-hmm. so if we needed a $5,000 study done, mm-hmm. we'd have to add 70% of that wow. $5,000 if we wanted it done by the university because we had to pay the university cost. Sure. So, you know, if you get grants or if you – any of those kinds of things or you're trying to enter into a contract um, – you, you look at that indirect cost rate. Mm-hmm. And so even when um, – 
when I worked for the, again, the state of Missouri many years ago for the uh, state park system, one of the things that we did was grants to local governments to develop parks and recreational facilities. But I had a 5% indirect cost rate with the federal government, which meant that I, as a state agency, could bill the federal government 5% on top of what that grant amount was to come to me for the to support the cost mm-hmm. of operating my program. Right, right. So uh, that's the, the art of grant writing and mm-hmm. getting all the, the uh, things done. When we say follow the money, then all of these ads on TV go up somewhere to somebody that may then have some influence over who gets donations in running for a Congress, say, for instance. Okay, so there are, like, let's say two different kinds of of monies um, in an election. There is the money that the candidate raises, Mm -hmm. and that, and, you know, they're very strict regulations. You have to say, you know, in the federal government, that you will say, I'm so-and-so, and I approve this message. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. At the local level, you have to put on everything you send out or everything that goes, you have to put paid for by. All right? Right. And so that's you, you have to acknowledge that you paid for it. Mm-hmm. But then there are what they have now are C4 organizations yes. who have members. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, again, it's a C4 organization. People are opting in to join that organization because they believe in the goals of that organization. And that organization can then choose to make an independent expenditure in favor of a particular candidate, Mm -hmm. but they're going to make that expenditure in favor of whichever candidate aligns with the goals of that organization. Right. And so that's unlimited. I mean, you know, however much money they can raise, they can raise, and however much money they can spend, mm-hmm. they can spend. Mm-hmm. They simply can't coordinate their expenditures with the actual uh, candidate for, you, I mean, they can't, they can't uh, collude. Collude. <laughs> yes, our big buzzword for the, yeah, year. for the year. Well, we're going to take a, a short break, okay. Deirdre. And uh, listeners, I'm talking with Deirdre Herner from Jeff City here in the studio. Dennis, uh, can you give us a few uh, station break items? And we'll be back in just a moment. And we're back with local news and social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And in the studio today is Deirdre Herner, D.K. Herner. You said you ran for a Cole County prosecutor in this last uh, go-around. You seem so intensely qualified for so many things. And I'm, I'm just kind of surprised to hear prosecutor. I don't know what a prosecutor does in Cole County, evidently. Why, why did you run for that particular position? So, <clears throat> what we talk about things like now are um, alternatives to incarceration. And so, a prosecutor is responsible for uh, prosecuting c- crimes that are committed in, the, uh, in that particular county. So, usually there are crimes like domestic violence or lack of payment of child support or uh, burglary or, you know, any of the more violent, more violent crimes. Mm-hmm. So, there's been a trend recently to take nonviolent crimes <clears throat> and do alternatives to incarceration, but those alternatives flow down to the elected prosecutor to make the recommendation as to how to deal with a particular person who's been committed a wrong. Okay. So if we take, for example, someone who is not paying their child support, all right? So if you choose the 
traditional route, you would take a person who didn't pay his or her child support to import their to support their child. And I believe you know every child needs to be supported by both parents. Both mm-hmm. parents have a duty to support a child. Mm-hmm. But you know the traditional method would have been to take the person who didn't pay the child support and put that person in jail. Okay. Mm. Now, if that person is in jail, well, can that person? That person's probably going to lose their job. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose their house. They're going to. They won't be able to pay child support. Right. So you look at different ways to enable that person. You know, they have to comply with certain. You you set a program in place where that person has to comply with requirements for job training or you know guaranteeing that they'll stay employed or those kinds of things so you know instead of taking a bad situation and making it worse by putting somebody in jail where they could never get out or do what they're supposed to do you enable them to do it but they have to show up you know and talk with the judges or talk with the prosecutors or you know report regularly i mean it's not just we're going to let you off the hook if you want to not go to jail you have to do this and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's maybe more difficult to comply with uh, you have to do this than mm-hmm. it is to go to jail mm-hmm. but at least you're trying to solve a problem you're trying to help the the child mm-hmm. and so you know that's that's a way you can effectively use a prosecutor's office for what we call now reforms to mass incarceration mm-hmm. so as the Cole County prosecutor is that is there just one prosecutor in Cole County? <clears throat> well, there is uh, the elected prosecutor, and then in the instance of the Cole County Prosecutor's Office, I think there are seven assistants that are allocated to that person, and those assistants help handle that caseload. I think in Boone County, I think there's one elected prosecutor, so each county has one elected, but the number of assistants vary based upon, let's mm-hmm. say, the size of the county or the budget of the county. I think Boone County has 12. So an assistant is still a lawyer still and a is lawyer. still prosecuting. Correct. And so this elected prosecutor sort of sets the tone for the staff or or it has can direct the assistants the way they would want things to flow or correct they can they can they set the tone for the Mm -hmm. office Mm -hmm. Um, they set the you know priorities Mm -hmm. and if a person who is elected is a collaborative type person that person listens to the advice of of some you know some of the other assistant prosecutors in the office okay or their take on it to arrive together at a, a way that that you know we want to th- uh, see things done mm-hmm. um in my experience and i'm not one of these it's it's not my way or the highway <laughs> you know it is okay you know, what do we want to achieve in this office mm-hmm. okay what do we want to achieve in this office and how do we get there mm-hmm. and so you know you work with the people who work with and for you to devise a means to get there mm-hmm. so why do we even have an elected prosecutor uh if 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 the main staff <laughs> is not elected, what are they just hired? Are they hired by the elected prosecutor? They're hired by the elected prosecutor. Oh, so the elected prosecutor picks mm-hmm. the people that work. Correct. I see. So that could change then with each administration, a whole new team of prosecutors could yes, come it, in. It oh. could. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, or a prosecutor could come in and all of the existing prosecutors are still there because they're they are public servants mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. you know carrying out the goals of the particular county and the elected prosecutor could interview exi- existing staff and mm-hmm. say this is kind of what my platform was mm-hmm. this is what i really believe are you on board you know are mm-hmm. you on board with that mm-hmm. and if the person says yeah i think that's a good way to go you can choose to keep that person Mm -hmm. if the person said i just can't do that Mm -hmm. you know uh, it is i'm philosophically opposed to the way you want to go Mm -hmm. then that person can find employment elsewhere yeah okay speaking of this area of prison and reform and so on florida just now uh 
passed a, a law for felons to be able to vote mm-hmm. uh, with certain exceptions. Correct. Uh, is this Missouri uh, moving in that direction? Well, I'm not certain because, again, if it's going to move in that direction, it will have to come from the state legislature to mm-hmm. say, okay, we're, we're going to move in this direction mm-hmm. and we're going to allow felons to have the vote. Mm-hmm. And state legislators, again, will look back to the folks whom they represent for them to give them input as mm-hmm. to whether they think it's a good thing or it's mm-hmm. not such a good thing. So there may or may not be an organization in Missouri that represents felons <laughs> yeah that's that's right and and probably there isn't but uh, you know uh, but i i'm not sure i mean yeah. there are organizations to represent anything so yeah. i wouldn't you know bet the farm on it which is still uh an area of public service that i mean it, it seems like it would be a great organization to have if we didn't have one already right and uh, a lot of people would benefit from having an organization that represented them in a way that it could become more humane here in missouri and i think too you can look to other states like Mm -hmm. missouri could look to florida to Mm -hmm. see what they're doing to model you know Mm -hmm. a program after that Mm -hmm. and so lessons learned you don't have to to re like it's cliche, but you don't mm-hmm. have to reinvent the wheel every time. Mm-hmm. You can look at what other states are doing that are very successful in being treating their prisoners more humanely, mm-hmm. or in you know convicted felons. And once they've once that a convicted felon has served his or her time, mm-hmm. and you know, then why why keep them down? Why keep you know? punishing them? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we had our own public voted on uh, laws or bills this Mm -hmm. uh, last fall. We had our uh, Clean Missouri. uh, We had uh, the medical marijuana. Again, somebody wrote those bills, and since they weren't – would they have had to have had a legislator sponsor the bill, even though it was done by way of petition? No, uh, and not all states have initiative petition. Oh, so okay. Missouri is one of the states that has an initiative petition. Mm-hmm. So measures can get on the ballot in two ways. They can be referred by the General Assembly, and that's called a referendum, mm-hmm. or they can be done by initiative petition. And that goes about you know so many signatures per congressional district based on how many people voted in the last election. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so that's the way, there are two different ways that things get to the ballot. Mm-hmm. Now I will tell you, I worked in Illinois um, as well. Mm-hmm. Illinois does not have initiative petition. So the citizens can't just put things on Mm -hmm. the ballot in that particular state. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have, like, the medical marijuana petitions. Mm -hmm. All right. So we had two constitutional amendments and one proposition. And the difference is if you have a constitutional amendment, that becomes part of the Constitution, and it requires a vote of the people to make any changes to what is once adopted by the people, mm-hmm. all right? If you have a proposition that's kind of a lower threshold and what's adopted as law by the citizens can be changed by the General Assembly, mm-hmm. okay? It doesn't require mm-hmm. another vote of the people. Well, I, it was the Clean Missouri an amendment or a proposition? Clean Missouri is a constitutional amendment. Yes. So any changes to that constitutional amendment. Now, the legislature can, it can adopt language that changes the amendment, but all they can do is refer that to the ballot and it will have to be voted on again by the people. So the legislature can't change the language of the constitutional amendment. It can make recommended changes but that still has but that has to go back out again for a vote of the people oh so all this uh news hoopla about uh people in legislature blocking or or keeping that amendment from being able to be actualized they can't block it it they can make these recommendations and it comes back on the ballot 
like in at, at another election time? Twenty twenty, <clears throat> it oh. would be on the ballot in twenty twenty. But the but but, okay. Let's say uh, the Clean Missouri Amendment. It I believe, and I may you know I haven't studied it as closely as I have the medical marijuana amendment. But the Clean Missouri Amendment has a demographer who is assigned to the state auditor. Mm-hmm. And the demographer is charged with the responsibility. This is the this is the um, part of the Clean Missouri Amendment that deals with redrawing district boundaries for the legislature. You know, to, to even it out. So the General Assembly could not appropriate the money mm. for that demographer. Mm. Then you wouldn't have the money. Oh. to hire that person. I mean, so there are different, you know, there right. are different ways to do things. Mm-hmm. That, again, I've not read that language as closely. Mm-hmm. The medical Amera, medical marijuana amendment that was passed, Amendment 2, mm-hmm. the language in the constitutional amendment says that the money collected shall stand appropriated without further legislative action. That means hmm. that the legislature can't keep the amendment from being acted upon by withholding money. Okay. Because it's the money stands appropriated. Mm-hmm. So the language of a bill like the two made a difference as to how that may be actualized. That's correct. Huh. La- language, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why I keep saying language matters, and yeah. the details are very important mm-hmm. in those issues. So, you know, I mean, I've heard elected officials say, well, we're not going to allow the medical marijuana bill to be implemented. But there is language in the constitutional amendment that says no elected official may interfere with implementation of the program. Truly. It's written right in the... It's written in the language. Oh, my goodness. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, there are are issues because, you know, I think it's a... ballot measure has to be summarized in a 500-word paragraph to be placed on the ballot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you you look at those, you you know, you have that language. Mm -hmm. But now, for example, I'm studying the language of Amendment 2, the medical marijuana amendment that passed. And so it's 18 pages long. Mm-hmm. All right. And so to summarize, uh, the Secretary of State does it to summarize 18 pages in 500 words, it's very difficult to get all of those figure out yeah. Yeah, what's done. So wh- that 500 word thing, what does it do? Where does it go? What, is, what um, has it already been done? Is it, is that something being created? So, so no, that, that 500 word read? thing, that's what you read on the ballot. Oh, okay. Okay, when you voted, mm-hmm, you right. read that. Now, you know, they have to publish in the newspaper um, the whole thing. The whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so people, I mean, I think people probably did read because there was uh, Amendment 2, Amendment 3, and a proposition, all of which dealt with medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. And Amendment 2 passed, and the other two failed. And so, you know, somebody somewhere. <laughs> paid attention to the differences of the language. But they also had, you know, Amendment 3, Amendment 2, and the proposition had some advocates, Mm -hmm. okay? Right. And so... A consortium in a way of uh, of different groups. Who were Mm -hmm. were advocating for the adoption of that. And so they took on an education effort to Mm -hmm. say, here's what this one does, here's what this one does, and here's what this one does. And they were out there Mm -hmm. educating the public about the the different amendments. I knew it made a difference in our household because mm-hmm. we didn't know the difference until these information items, yep. educational items, started mm-hmm. to come through in postcards and sure. various ways. Very effective. Yeah, very effective. And that all took money. <laughs> yeah, it does take. Yeah, because you can't mail postcards for free. Right. <laughs> or print stuff. And so that would have been through those different organizations Correct. and their people. And so it was really a very democratic Yes. In a sense, uh, way that that was handled, and mm-hmm. and we'll see the effects of that. So, when does that get implemented? This uh, one that you're studying now, and 
So, uh, again, the language of the amendment is prescript is quite prescriptive, the mm-hmm. actual language. So the effective date of that constitutional amendment was December 6th, I believe. Of 2019. Of 2018. Oh, of 2018. That was the effective date. Uh-huh. Then you, uh, you're allowed to start pre-filing applications, I believe, on the 6th of January. Okay. That's pre-filing, and there's no there's there's no guarantee. There's you know the Department of Health and Senior Services adopted some rules about what it takes to. They're called emergency rules because they adopt them on a quick basis. They don't have to be um, out for comment and stuff like mm-hmm. that as long. Um, and an application, a pre-application form. So uh, if you want to cultivate or dispense or manufacture. Uh, marijuana infused products mm-hmm. medical marijuana mm-hmm. for medical for medical purposes mm-hmm. you can you can file a pre-application but that's no guarantee that you will get a license now mm-hmm. the application for the license I believe comes out sometime in January I mean um, July mm-hmm. again that's prescribed in the in the rules mm-hmm. or prescribed in the language of the amendment Mm -hmm. and then um, I think it's sometime in August that the applications have to be received and then the Department of Health and Senior Services has to make a decision about to whom it will grant licenses for uh, you know for those activities Mm -hmm. by again a date certain that Mm -hmm. I'm not recalling right now Mm -hmm. but the thing of it is if you're going to if you are going to file a pre-application, you pay if you want to cultivate medical marijuana or cultivate. Right, there's a dollar okay. with each there's, one. Of you them. have to. It's a ten thousand dollar non-refundable fee, and for the dispensaries and the manufacturing, it's a six thousand dollar non-refundable fee. But those non-refundable fees, again, we're going to go back to that stands appropriated. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those fees go to the Department of Health and Senior Services, who has, I don't know if you, they, they've actually started a new division oh, just wow. to deal with this. Oh, no, I didn't but know. anybody mm-hmm. who pays that pre-application fee, mm-hmm. that's the non-refundable money, that goes in and that pays for that division within the Department wow. of Health and, and mm-hmm. Senior Services to operate mm-hmm. so that it can write the rules by July, so that it can prepare the right. application by right. July. So, you know, I mean, it's all yeah. kind of intertwined. How cool. I, I, thank you. This has sure. been very educational for me. And and then there's also the doctors throughout the, the state that would need to be educated on what they're allowed to write prescriptions or who they're allowed to write prescriptions so for. So there, there are, I think it's 10 conditions. That are written in the? That are written in the uh, <laughs> amendment. Already written in there. Already written in there <laughs> that are eligible to, for use of medical yeah. marijuana. Okay. So there's a patient. So the patient has to apply to the Department of Health to get a card for medical marijuana. And then the patient has to show that to the prescribing physician that they can use it Mm -hmm. before the medicine is Ah. prescribed. Mm -hmm. But then the doctors also have to, there's a, and I've done mostly the cultivation stuff because the doctors come later. Uh, I haven't done doctors yet, but there's something they have to do in order to be able to prescribe. Mm -hmm. But it is written in the language of the constitutional amendment that if the physician believes that medical marijuana is the best treatment Mm -hmm. for the illness that the patient has that you can't interfere with the decision Uh, of a physician okay well deirdre herner (laughs) you're a wealth of information so i I like to say i read for a living (laughs) and and on the side you're reading a a book about president uh, president Yes, Madison. President Madison. Right, way yeah. back, and I'm going back. Yeah. So I've already I've read. I try to get them when they're available, but I did John Quincy Adams, who was the son of John Adams. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get those first founders, uh-huh. you know, founders books, and you know, just to because um, 
you know, I had American history, but you know, you have all those classes when you're young yeah. and you don't pay attention. So you can really get a flavor for what's mm-hmm. gone on with each of these mm-hmm. Washington, <laughs> Jefferson, Madison. Have, have you those, seen those. Uh, the musical Hamilton yet? I haven't seen that one yet. No, so, no I need to see it. But, <laughs> I but haven't either. Really. I will tell you that I Hamilton that, is talked about in the President Madison book. <laughs> I think the tickets are going at 450 to start with. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, it'll be a while. It'll be a while. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we had the time to talk today. And uh, our, we'll talk more on the ride home. And, and uh, next week, we have uh, a woman from Texas that's going to be on the line with us, uh, Sarah Morell Vaughn. And uh, I can't tell you too much about Sarah, we we haven't really met, but uh, it's going to be a very interesting conversation as well. So if you can, folks, uh, tune in next week for Glocal News in Social Artistry. Uh, keep building a more humane world yourself. And as I'm ending shows uh, this year, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner more peaceful, more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.